Welcome to the Grace Capital City podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. Guys, Palm Sunday, here we is, here we is, Holy Week, um, we, uh, yeah, starting Holy Week, we, we have three, just want to remind you, three communal gatherings during Holy Week, tonight we're here talking about Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, uh, on Friday we're going to be gathering as houses all around the city uh, for a Seder gathering, a Seder meal, and so I encourage you, if you haven't signed up on one of those um, to go on our website. We'd love to plug you into one. And those are really powerful times. We did it last year, and it is such a meaningful journey um, to enter into. Um, and then on next Sunday, of course, get out your pastels, guys. It's Resurrection Sunday. Easter time, Matthew 21. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 21. Pastor Olu read the... Um, the triumphal entry, verses 1 through 11, at the start of our service. I'm, I'm not going to reread all the verses, but I do want you to have the passage open because we're going to look at some verses directly after verse 11. And I just want you to be ready um, to have your Bible there. So before we do that, let me, let me set the scene a little bit. Let me set the scene that Olu invited us into at the start of the service. This is... Jesus riding into Jerusalem for the final time. This is the beginning of his physical journey towards the cross, right? Jesus knows what awaits him, and he's journeying into Jerusalem as part of the Passover festival, right? This is a, a big part of Jewish culture that Jewish people from around the region would come to Jerusalem in a pilgrimage as such to worship and offer sacrifice at the temple, and so Jesus is coming in. He's coming in not alone. He's coming in with these crowds of people. Now, for Jesus, the journey specifically is a journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a 15-mile journey that he's taken. Now, interestingly enough, Jericho is one of the lowest elevation cities in the world. It's actually located right next to the Dead Sea, which means the journey Jesus is making is almost entirely uphill. This is, an, this is an arduous journey. This is a tiring journey. This is a dusty journey. This is a, a journey that with crowds of people coming from Jericho, you would, have, you would have come across the road, crested the hill, and seen Jerusalem in the distance as he makes his way into this city for the final time. And it's Passover. It's really significant that it's Passover because it gives us an insight into what was forefront in the people's minds at this time. You see, at Passover, more than any other time in Jewish culture, the people would remember their, their freedom from slavery, right? They would remember that God had delivered them in Egypt through Moses and the plagues and the Red Sea. God had moved on their behalf and taken them, led them out of bondage, led them out of oppression. Now, for the Jewish people at this time in you know, 30, 33 AD, right around there, they're remembering their historic oppression in the context of their current oppression. 
So the Jewish people were freed, but they didn't remain free. They were then under the the rule of Babylon for a season. They were now under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so even again, Jesus and his contemporaries know what it means to be under bondage at some time. And, And the Jewish people have been waiting again for a Messiah. All the Old Testament prophecies point to this figure, this person that is going to come and is going to deliver them out of bondage into freedom. So I I point that out just to remind us that as people are coming in for the Passover festival, this, this concept, this hope, this passion and desire for a Messiah would have been forefront in their minds. They're waiting. Who will deliver us? Who will rescue us again from the oppression we find ourselves under? And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he enters the city, the people begin throwing their robes down on the ground. They begin cutting palm branches and they're covering the ground. They're greeting Jesus as royalty. This is how a dignitary or a royal person would be greeted in a new city so that their feet would never have to touch the dust. Even the feet of the animal they're riding doesn't have to get dusty. So Jesus is greeted with a sense of, 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 of royalty, of honor. And they begin to yell at him. The, the, the frustration, the passion, the emotion begins to spill over. And they begin to yell a very specific and intentional word, they begin to yell the word, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. It's an interesting word, Hosanna. It's it's only found a few times in the scripture. In fact, most of the times we read it is in the context of this story, the different gospel accounts of the triumphal entry. There's one time in Psalm 118, but... It's a word, most of us know it means save us. A Hebrew word means save us. Save us. So the people are yelling, save us, save us, save us. But actually, if you look at the the root of the word Hosanna, it's actually a compound word of, of two different parts. The word Yasha in the Hebrew means deliverer or save. And the word Anna means please. And so even more than the Jewish people are yelling, save us, they're actually, if you really want to get specific about it, they're actually yelling, please save us. Please, please, someone save us. And that speaks to, I think, the desperation of the moment, doesn't it? It speaks to the sense of, hey, we're not just Jesus. If you have a minute, we could use a hand here. There's there's an overflowing of the feeling of oppression, of the feeling of being held in bondage that is coming out in that moment that the Jewish people would begin to yell this particular word, Hosanna, please, please save us. We have been waiting. And this is where the Israelites are at, right? This is where they find themselves. They are anticipating something, anticipating a Messiah, waiting for specifically someone who would maybe be in the model of of David, the giant slayer, right? Bring us to the top again. Free us from bondage. Liberate us. Please save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. Now this this word, Hosanna, I think it's a word we can relate to 
in a lot of ways because we all find ourselves at different moments having a Hosanna outpouring, don't we? We find ourselves in a moment where we're saying, God, save us, save me, help me, deliver me, move on my behalf in some way, right? We, we, we can relate to what the Jewish people are going through here. Um, and, and I think those Hosanna moments, they, they can be for trivial things. They can be just everyday life things. I know for me, I, I'm a big um, Australian rules football fan, not rugby, all right? Just want to say Look it up. It's God's favorite sport, YouTube. Um, and I've been, I've been uh, following a team since middle school that for the last 20 years has either been at the bottom or near the bottom. 20 years, right? Last year, they, they were improving. They were getting better. And we were right on the edge of finals. The last game of the year, 20 seconds to go. All we had to do was win. Hold on and win. We're up by a point. And I'm saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. God, move on my behalf. And... A, turns out uh, there were some even more faith-filled believers on the other side praying. <laughs> so we, it can be in like trivial things, sports, just everyday life stuff. But the reality is that we, we have these Hosanna moments in really serious moments as well, where many of us have cried out to God for, for healing, or we've cried out to God for delivery in some way, provision, restitution, some kind of reconciliation, something we're needing God to move on our behalf. And so I, I, wanna, I say that just to say that as the Israelites are, are crying out, I, I want us to almost feel that sense of being in that moment, right? Of what it means to have your own Hosanna moment. Please save me. Please move. Please heal. Please restore. Whatever it might be. We, we can relate to that. We get where they're coming from. So let me, let me read on a little bit here. If you have your Bibles open. And I'll, I'll backtrack just a little bit to verse 9 and then read on a couple of verses. It says, The crowds that went ahead of him, this is verse 9, crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so Jesus entered the temple area. And he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So this is, this is a, uh, an interesting turn of events here. Let, let me just remind us of the scene. Jesus the hero is riding into Jerusalem. He's riding in. The people are receiving him as royalty. They're crying out. They're believing that this could be the Messiah. This could be the guy. And you can kind of imagine a sense of like, all right, this is, this, it's about to happen. Like this is going down. We've been waiting for generations and we've been under Roman rule for nearly a hundred years now. And now the Romans are about to get theirs, right? This, this is happening we're going to get revenge. We're going to be led to the top again. And you could imagine, like, as Jesus is coming in, there would have been people running with him. And they're like, this is our guy. 
Jesus, this is our guy. He's with us. We're about to get, look out Romans, get back to your barracks because Jesus is about to open things up, right? Israel going back to the top, you know? And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something expected. He starts heading to the temple. And I, I'll do a little like extra biblical Chris commentary. Okay, so I'm not claiming this is in the Bible, but you could imagine there might've been some confusion like, hey, apparently Jesus doesn't know the roadmap of Jerusalem as well as we thought he did because the Romans are over here. And Jesus, I know where the Romans are. So just come with me. I know where the barracks are. We're heading there right now. I, that road goes to the temple. You don't want to go there, right? That's our stuff. The, the, don't go to the temple. We're heading to the Romans because we need you to take care of business. We need you to free us, right? Why are you going to the temple, Jesus? I know what it is. Gee, classic Jesus. He's going to just make an offering. He's going to make a sacrifice and then he's going to go and kick some Roman butt. That's how this is going. So devout, Jesus, classic. Such a Jesus move, right? All right, quick, quick sacrifice, Jesus. Quick one, just a quick one because we got some Romans to take care of, all right? So we're going to the temple and then we're going to do business with the Romans, right? This is an unexpected move. Jesus doesn't head to the Romans. He starts heading to the temple. The temple was corrupt. The temple was especially corrupt at Passover. And here's why. Because Jewish people, uh, rich and poor, would come in from all over the region and they would come to the temple to make a sacrifice. And what would happen is the prices of the doves, the prices of the lambs, the prices of the things you would need to make said sacrifice would be driven up. Right? So there was massive exploitation going through the temple, taking advantage of the vulnerable, taking advantage of the poor. Not only that, there was massive immorality at the temple. Temple prostitution was a huge thing, right? The temple had become a corrupt, corrupt place. And Jesus, we read, doesn't go to the temple to make a quick sacrifice before heading to the Romans. He goes in there to clean house. And he starts flipping tables and he starts sending doves flying through the sky and he starts causing absolute chaos. And it is a dramatic scene that most of us have read about very few of us realize it happens directly after he enters into the city as a hero. First thing Jesus does, instead of going to the Romans, he heads to the temple, right? And, and again, you can imagine, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> These are the good guys. Bad guys are over here. What are you, why are you coming in? We, 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 we asked you to save us from Rome, not turn tables at the temple. We were really excited about the Rome thing, right? We were really excited about getting free, really excited about you taking care of our oppressors, of our situation, of the bad place that we are in. We are not as excited about this thing you're doing right now. <laughs> not so excited about the flipping tables, pretty excited about the Rome thing. Like, why are you coming into our temple and why are you disrupting what we got going on here, okay? That was not part of the plan. That's what he does. Jesus doesn't head to the Romans, doesn't even mention the Romans. He says, I'm going to the temple. I'm not going to the temple to make a sacrifice. Whew. We're flipping tables. 
There is a um, great new uh, up-and-coming artist you might have heard of. She's kind of underground. Her name's Taylor Swift. Might have heard of her. I got to be honest, I'm not actually a Taylor Swift fan. Don't judge me. I've really tried. I have. <laughs> a lot of judgment. I do like her collaborations with Bonavia. I will say that. I appreciate those. I just hasn't worked for me yet. If there's a song I should listen to by Taylor Swift, come and talk to me after. Um, but I have heard this song. There's a song she has called Anti-Hero. Or Anti-Hero, am I saying that right? Can you say it both ways? Okay, I'm getting some nods. And uh, if you haven't heard the song, I'll let you know what the, the lyrics to the chorus are. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. Say it again. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It is possible Jesus is throwing down some tea swift here. That's all I'm saying. Uh, 2,000 years later, Jesus is just like... I wrote the song first. You see, when Jesus comes in as a Messiah, a Savior, the first thing he tells them is, Rome's not your problem. You're the problem. Rome's not the issue here. It's you. (laughs) Hi, I'm the problem. You're the issue. It's your idolatry. It's your sin. It's, it's your hearts, right? And I could free you from Roman oppression. I totally could. I could call down legions of angels. Remember he says that on the cross? I could call down legions of angels and they could just scorch earth this place, right? That's not an issue. I'm not afraid of the Roman army, right? Empires come and empires go in Jesus as well, okay? But you know what? If I came and I dealt with the Roman issue, the real issue would still be there. (laughs) The real problem, right? It's not going to fix what's really going on here. You'd still be bound to death. You'd still be on a road that leads to destruction. You'd still be exploiting the vulnerable. You'd still be worshiping idols. You'd still be refusing to honor me as God. You'd still be making yourself gods, right? I could free you from Roman oppression, but it's not really what's gonna fix the problem here, right? This isn't the issue here. Rome is not the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. And guys, here's what we need to recognize is this picture of Jesus not going to the Romans, but going to the temple is so profound. And it's so challenging to us because it reminds us That when we have our Hosanna moments, and we do, all of us, is so often we're crying out to God, but we're crying out just like Israel was. And we're saying to God, God, I need your help because I'm in a bad spot again. Or I got something going on, like my bank account's looking good, not looking good, or I got to pass this exam, or, or I need a healing, or I need a breakthrough. I need you to fix my circumstance. I need you to fix the situation, right? I got Romans in my life, and I need you to come and fix this problem. And then Jesus comes along, right? And you know where he heads? The temple. The temple. We're like, hey, 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 Jesus, problem's out there. 
What are you doing? The temple. I'm going straight to the temple of your heart. I'm going straight to the temple of your mind. I'm going straight to the temple of your soul. I'm going straight to the temple of your inner world. I'm going straight to the source and I'm going to deal with what is actually going on here because I could free you from Romans, but guess what? There'll be more Romans. And they might have a different name. I can free you from this circumstance, but guess what? There's going to be another circumstance. And there's going to be another issue. And the bottom's going to fall out again. And we never will have dealt with what is actually going on. Jesus, Romans, they're over there. I just, I didn't need you to start flipping tables. I just needed you to free me from my problem. I want saving, but I really want it on my terms. I want you to do the thing I want you to do. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to deal with the heart. I'm going to deal with the source. I'm going straight to the temple. Guys, we so easily in the Christian world, either overtly, consciously, or, or unconsciously believe this Lie, and I want to just speak against it right now about why Jesus came. Okay, and if you're offended by this, I apologize kind of because it's true. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to give you a better life. Okay, He didn't come to give you a better life, He's not a genie in a bottle that if you rub his tummy and say the right words, he's gonna give you the thing you think you want or think you think you need. That doesn't mean those things aren't legitimate and it doesn't mean you shouldn't pray about those things. He actually cares, it's just not why he came. Do you know why Jesus came to earth? To establish a kingdom, a whole new government, a whole new rule, a whole new reign, right? The kingdom of God is the meta-narrative of scripture, which means it's the story that makes sense of every other story. And what he is doing is he is establishing a new way, a new culture, a new way of being, birthing a new humanity, as we've talked about in this Roman series, right? And there is a king of that kingdom, and his name is King Jesus. He didn't come just to fix your life. He came to establish a kingdom. And what he is doing with his sons and daughters, right, is he is fashioning us into people who can carry his kingdom, People who are not just of earth, but are of heaven, who can place ourselves in every situation and the essence of this new rule, this new way of being will flow from your life. If you let him, he will grow you into a daughter or a son who can carry heaven into every place he calls you, right? Jesus is very interested in the Romans in your life, okay, the problems in your life. He really is. And I don't say that, like, I'm not trying to speak that down. Like, he really cares about the things we have going on. He does, because he's a good dad. He really cares. But you know what he cares more about the Romans in your life? He cares more about the state of your temple. He cares more about the state of your heart than he does the state of your bank account. (laughs) He cares more about who you are becoming then freeing you from every situation that you might face. And that's hard to hear because trials are real and they're painful and some of them are tragic. 
But the Bible is very clear that he is not coming to free you from every potential suffering, right? He's actually doing something greater, something way more than that. He's preparing you to be a person who can carry his kingdom even in the midst of suffering. So God's not going to save you from ever being betrayed, okay? Just, just know that. He's not. He's not going to save you from people letting you down. He's not going to save you from people double-crossing you or lying to you or cheating you. He's, he's, he's not going to do that. You know what he's going to do? He's turning you into a person who can practice the way of heaven when you are betrayed. Okay. God's not going to save you from every sickness. In fact, our beloved associate pastor is walking through cancer right now. You think she hasn't prayed? You haven't prayed on her behalf? We continue to pray. Sickness is real. Suffering is real, right? God is leading you and us, if we let him, to become people who can see the kingdom of God established in and through our lives, even in the midst of sickness, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of physical pain, right? God is not promising you a perfect life. He's not promising that if you're single, you're going to get married or that you're going to have a perfect family. He's, he's not promising any of that, right? He's, never, he's not promising you won't have heartbreak or disappointment. He is, he is leading you to become a person who can be content in every circumstance. That is the promise of God. I will call you an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven who even in the midst of suffering, in fact, Paul in Romans, I can't remember which chapter, says that we cannot even share in God's glory unless we share in his suffering. Unless we know what it is to endure, the Romans in our life, we actually miss out on some of God's heart. Now, God does not cause suffering. I do not believe that. But he will fashion all things for his glory. And he will use them to shape us and change us. God is heading straight for your temple, guys. <laughs> and we're going to try and redirect. God, but look at this. Look what's going on. If you just fix this thing. I got people. I got a situation. If this was fixed, then everything would be, everything would be great. I'd be good. And God's just constantly like, that's great. I, I hear you. I care about that. Let's look at the heart. <laughs> Let's look at who you are. Let's look at who you're becoming. He's very, very concerned with your temple. He always responds. He always responds to the cry of Hosanna. Please say this. He always responds. He just may not respond in the way you think he should. We good? I'll finish with this, a couple more verses. And we'll... This is interesting. Verse 14, I'll pick it up at. So he's, he's turned turn tables, doves flying, it's drama, it's chaos in the temple. He's, he's just cleaning house in the temple. Verse 14 says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. 
Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. So it's, it's, it's almost like this. Two, two categories of people here in this last little part, isn't it? You got, on the one hand, you have the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they're the, they're the righteous. They know the law. They live by the law. They, they have status. They have power. They have standing in the community. People know them. They, they pride themselves on their rightness before God. They keep things to the letter of the Torah and the exact ceremonies. In fact, so much so, they've even added some things to the law just to kind of keep everyone in line, right? This is the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they're observing. They're described here as observing. They're observing miracles. They're observing children yelling out to God, saying Hosanna to Jesus, and they also have observed Jesus confronting the temple. They've observed Jesus not go to the Romans, but go to the temple, right? When everyone knows the Romans are the problem, and yet the, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law have seen Jesus go straight to the corruption at the heart of the temple and call it out in a really dramatic way. And verse 15 says of them, it says, they were indignant. Didn't matter how many healings they saw. Didn't matter how many miracles Jesus did. Didn't matter that the next generation of children were crying out to Jesus as Lord. Didn't matter what God did. They were so mad. Their world had been disrupted. They had been challenged. Jesus had done something that was not on the agenda for the kind of Messiah they wanted, right? And guys, this is, um, this is something we need to pay attention to because it is a really easy trap to fall into where we can find ourselves praying for God to move. Like, God, I want to see renewal. I want to see you work in this city. I, I, I want to see you uh, transform lives, God. I, I want to see you deal with evil that's in our city, demonic forces, dark forces, whatever it might be. I want to see you deal with the heathens. I want to see you deal with the other people, right? I, I want to see you deal with the liberals or I want to see you deal with the conservatives or whoever you decide the enemy is in, in the tribal warfare the world tries to pull us into, right? And we we're praying for God to move on our behalf and then Jesus shows up and who does he shine the spotlight on? Us. <laughs> he shines the spotlight on us and he says, well, let me show you where revival actually starts. <laughs> let me show you where renewal actually begins, right? Stop blaming what's going on out there and let me start working on your heart. And if we're not careful, God moving by his spirit can leave us feeling mad because God didn't do the thing we wanted him to do. Instead, he turned a great big spotlight and started working on our own hearts. And it was uncomfortable and it was not the plan and I was not ready to deal with that thing yet. It is real easy to come out of these stories wanting God to move with a heart to see him do good things and end up looking like the teachers of the law. And then... 
So I said, there's two groups, teachers of the law, chief priests, and then you have the other group. You have the blind, the lame, and the children. And I, and I categorize those three together, the blind, the lame, and the children. I categorize them together because they have in common one really, really critical thing, and that is they know they need God. You know what is true of every healthy child? And I'm not speaking, there are trauma situations where this isn't true, but a healthy child that is raised. You know what is true of every healthy child? They know where their help comes from. They know where their help comes from. They are fully reliant on someone to bring and nourish and serve. And Jesus says, come to me like children. <laughs> come to me with that posture. Know where, you, where your actual help come from. Guys, you will never receive from God if you don't know you need God. It is self-righteousness that is one of the greatest barriers to God moving in and through you, right? That's why Jesus says in the, in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Translation, blessed are those who know they need God. Who say, God, if you don't come, then I don't have. God, if you don't move, then I can't do anything. God, not in my righteousness, not in my strength. God, I need you. The blind need God. The lame know they need God. The children know, oh, we're just children. We, we need God. They're the ones who are able to rejoice and receive the miracle of what God wants to do. And yet it is the self-righteous who are left feeling mad. Guys, it is one of the greatest obstacles of revival, of renewal, of transformation, whatever word you want to put in there, personally, culturally, is self-righteousness. They're saying, we've got it together. The Romans are the problems. It's out there, it's the culture, it's the city, it's all these different things. And I just think this story is just such a great reminder that Jesus is coming in and he's coming to do business with you and me. And it's gonna be uncomfortable and it might get messy, and there might be doves flying everywhere and lambs running everywhere, but ultimately he is doing it because he wants to fashion you to be a daughter and son who can reign with him for all eternity. But every great move of God, you go back and read through all the different revivals in history, it always starts with a group of people who remember how much they need God. That's why repentance is always one of the key ingredients. It's like, God. friend John Tyson, you know, he's preached here. He said, he said it this way in a sermon. He said, God comes where he's wanted. Where he's wanted. We want what we need. That's one of the greatest spiritual disciplines is to continue to cultivate a reliance and a hunger for God. To remember that every breath is a gift, is grace. David, why don't you come up here? I just feel like we just need to 
just a moment before we even receive communion. We don't want to be the teachers of the law. We want to be the children. (laughs) We don't want to be the ones who are indignant when God moves. We want to be the people who who are open, who are ready, who in a healthy way are able to say, God, Come and do what you need to do. I don't want to be so offended at the sin of my brother or sister that I cannot see the plank in my own eye. I don't want to be so outraged at what I see going on in the world. And there's plenty to be outraged about, guys. I don't want to be so outraged by that that I forget that the real renewal God wants to do was in the hearts of his daughters and sons. And that the kingdom of heaven comes not by government decree, but by changed and transformed hearts. Changed and transformed hearts. Salt on the earth. Remember that's our word for the year, salt. Salt loses its saltiness. So Holy Spirit, we just even repent right now of the sin of self-righteousness, the the parts that we're aware of, the parts that we're not aware of. Holy Spirit, there are things that need to be uprooted for you to deal with. There are places we've held bitterness against someone and, and blamed our lives on them. on a situation, on a circumstance, and we haven't been willing to look at the temple of our own hearts. Oh God, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Lord, we are hungry to see you move. May that hunger start in our hearts. we not be a people who look out and never take the time to look in. Let us not be indignant when you move and you speak and you challenge. Stephen, right now, let's just just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there anything uncomfortable in me that you want to bring up, not in my neighbor, not in the person on my left or my right, not in the system, not in anyone else, in me, in my heart. Is there something you want to gently start excavating, changing, transforming? tables of our hearts and that's what you need to do. Come and show us where we're bound in 
greed or lust or fear or anger or resentment. Come and turn the tables of our hearts. I need you, Jesus.